Hello! We are back making a fantastic noise in this episode. We are finding out about working as part of the BBC Radio 5 Live sports team, speaking with presenter Emma Saunders from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Terry Lee, Senior Tutor in Radio and Audio at the University of Bedfordshire. Thank you for your time and thank you for your ears. The summer of 2021 has given us an amazing feast of overdue sport. The Olympics and Paralympics were obviously amazing, but for me, as a big football fan, summer was all about Euro 2020, taking place in 2021. When I wasn't watching matches on TV, I was listening to them on the radio or listening to radio and podcasts about the tournament. Football, broadly speaking, is my go-to listening experience, much to my wife's non-delight. So obviously I was delighted when earlier this month a Five Live sports broadcaster agreed to speak with me about her experiences of covering the tournament. My name is Emma Saunders and I am a freelance sports broadcaster. Emma is someone you may have heard on the radio or come across on television or even seen on a football pitch before a football match. She covers a variety of sports, as we will hear, but she largely focuses on football. It also turns out she's a big fan of the Australian soap Neighbours. Honestly, Honestly, I used to be a massive Neighbours fan to the point where (laughs) I didn't miss an episode for about 15 years. Funnily enough, my sister was very recently sent a video recorded by Alan Fletcher, who plays Dr Carl Kennedy in the soap, as a birthday present. I've got a big birthday coming up as well. I'm 30 in October. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. I'm send this to my friends. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where it's from, but it's obviously, you just Google it, and uh, it was like a full-on like minute and a half of him like strumming the guitar and singing some nonsense. And it's so cheesy, it's brilliant. Dr. Carl, Harold, Emma was yeah, extremely all. generous with her time and gave some incredible insight into making radio with Five Live Sport. After we hear from Emma, I will recommend something else to listen to and we will have the radio word of the week. But let's get to Emma. I began the conversation by asking her if she now felt like an established part of the BBC Five Live team. Even when you say that out loud, I'm such a radio geek and I've been working in radio and for the BBC for quite a while now, but I still kind of get shivers down my spine. Like I'm part of the five live radio team because I think as a sports fan growing up and yeah, being so passionate about radio it is the ultimate job. Do I feel established? Yes, I would say so. I think especially after this summer. I came through BBC local radio, which is quite a common pathway for people that end up on Five Live. So I came through BBC Radio London and my first work experience with them was back in London 2012, which is telling, isn't it, of just how old I am now, which was amazing, though, because, of course, it was when the Olympics were on and it was just such an incredible time to, even though at that stage, in I was making teas and coffees mainly and at, at best sort of picking up the phone booking guests and just overseeing things but it was such an amazing opportunity to take it all in and just see how radio works and all the production that goes into it because yes you might just hear my voice on five live but there is such a huge team of people behind that so that introduction during the olympics in london 2012 was amazing that work experience and from there um i just yeah i got started in production and after a couple of years went on air with Radio London and eventually about three years ago now four years ago maybe I got my first opportunity with Network Radio which is Five Live Mm. uh, as a football reporter so I did a bit of game reporting and then my first on-air experience presenting was actually 606 so the football phone-in with Robbie Savage which was being thrown in at the deep end a little bit Speaking yeah. to football fans far and wide. Yeah, did a little bit of 606 over the course of a year or so. And then Five Live off the back of that gave me a few opportunities. So I've been used in all different types of shows, mainly depping for the main presenters when they're not there. But I think after this summer, having five weeks straight 
of being a regular voice on the podcast, on air presenting and reporting from the England camp. Yeah, I think I say I feel part of the team now, which is is lovely. And hopefully going forward, yeah, you'll continue to hear my voice on Five Live. Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel part of the team because you're certainly someone I hear a lot of on, on the station. And you, you've given us a lot to chew over in that last answer because... <laughs> Uh, amongst other things, you mentioned working on, on 606 with Five Live. I feel like I should explain to, to some people that don't know the, the programme, for example. It's a, it's one of Five Live's mo- longest running programmes, if not the most long running programme on the station. It's a, essentially the, the football phone in where people talk about football and you, you get some entertaining callers. Uh, and, and I guess the interaction between them and and the the people like in the case of when you and Robbie were on it, they'll be talking to you and Robbie and Robbie uh, Savage for people who don't know is a, a f- former footballer and a, certainly a football personality who likes to argue. <laughs> likes to argue, or does he just always have a viewpoint that just coincidentally is the opposite of the presenter and and the caller? Who knows? He, no, he's he's great to work with. Uh, him and Chris Sutton, actually, I should mention they're both they're both the the regular pundits. Actually, they present it between themselves as well now, and it is an excellent listen. And yeah, six oh six is a flagship show on Five Live Saturday and Sunday evenings, and it's a chance for football fans to vent their frustrations in a lot of cases but also just pick up the phone and gloat when their team has won as well so it was it was an amazing way to get into to five live um because any football fan can ring up and and give you a call it might be that Manchester United and Chelsea have played that day but I've been on air when we've had you know Peterborough fans ring up or Brentford fans when they're in the championship and it was just great speaking to football fans from far and wide because the one thing they all have in common is that they are so passionate, as is Robbie. So it is, it's excellent radio and it was an absolute privilege to be able to present it for a little while. And yeah, hopefully we'll get a few more opportunities this year as well, should Robbie and Chris ever take a holiday, which they didn't last season. Uh, but yeah, hopefully I'll be back on 606 this year as well. Oh, that would be great. Um, you you mentioned as well you, this summer and how you were doing a lot of work this summer. I feel I should probably fill the gap and say there was a, a certain big European football tournament, <laughs> uh, international one this, this summer, Euro 2020, which curiously happened in 2021. Yeah, you were a, a, a voice that I heard a lot on, on Five Lives coverage of, of, of the tournament, uh, including oh, a particular moment just before the final where you were interviewing England footballer Declan Rice. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was one of my favourite radio listing moments of the year. If only I kept a tally of favourite listing moments, it would definitely be in there. It had, <laughs> as an interview, it had so many highlights. You you <laughs> you, you spoke with Jeff Hurst, who, who won the World Cup, scored a hat-trick in 1966 for England hearing Declan Rice's emotion whilst that conversation was happening as West Ham boys together and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then it, the, the end of the interview is perhaps the real highlight because somehow you got Declan Rice to sing Sweet Caroline oh, in yeah. a very enthusiastic way. <laughs> you want me to sing? Why not? We'll all join in. You're in good company here in the Daily Euros 10. <laughs> Reaching out Touching me Touching you, sweet Caroline. Good times. I mean, how, how was that always part of the plan? Uh, do you know? Yeah, in in hindsight, I go into these interviews with a plan, and then half of it will go out the window because they were all such brilliant personalities in that England team. But yes, we did actually have that up our sleeves to to ask if you fancied a bit of a sing song at the end. Uh, for anyone that did listen to Five Live throughout the summer, they will know that we ended up having almost a bit of a karaoke live lounge feature. For those that didn't, this all started on day one of the camp. It was a throwaway question to Dean Henderson, the Manchester United goalkeeper, where it was his first European Championships, first major championship. So I said, if you had an initiation, you, Ben White, any of the other newbies to the camp? And he said, uh, no, but it was the effect of it's a shame because he, he had a song up his sleeve, which he would sing. So I just said, oh, right, out of interest, what would that be? Thinking he might just name it. And then he just broke into song singing, um, Mario, let me love you. Baby, I just don't get it. 
Do you enjoy being hurt? I know you smell the perfume, the makeup on my shirt. Do you believe in stories? And it wasn't even just the chorus. He had the full verse and everything. Um, so that was hilarious. And up next, uh, the way that the camp worked was they just had players coming through on the first day and we got to speak to a few different players and they were almost on rotation, going in and out of the different tents, speaking to different people. So Raheem Sterling was up next and he was stood just behind Dean Henderson when he started singing to us. So Raheem saw it. So when Raheem took in took the seat, um, I ended up at the end of the interview just saying, did you see Dean sing there? I don't suppose you've got a song for us, have you? not thinking he would take the bait. And he did. He was amazing as well. What did he sing? Egyptian Hold Ya as well. Got me one for you all, yeah. Put me eyes right around, yeah. Yeah, yeah, give me the tightest will yeah. get out of my life. <laughs> and we had Dion Dublin as part of the interview. So then this musical theme ran through a lot of the interviews. We had a few of the different players singing. Sure enough, before the final, Declan Rice is in the hot seat. And with the way that Sweet Caroline had emerged throughout the summer as one of the main songs the fans were singing, we just thought what a brilliant way it would be to cap the whole summer of interviews with Declan. We did also have Sir Jeff Hurst on the line, which made for an interesting dynamic. Um, so at the end of the interview, I just said, look, Declan, because a lot of them were coming into the tent as well and they, they'd seen the footage that we were putting out. So I think it didn't really come as a surprise. I think a few of them walked in and said, oh, is this the karaoke tent? So they kind of knew it was coming. So we just faded up the music at the end and he got straight into it. And it wasn't, I joined in a bit as well. And we had a couple of the production guys with us too. So everyone started singing so much so though, we had noise cancelling headphones on. So I could only really hear Declan and me. The whole camp came to a standstill. Mason Mount was in there doing a press conference. So was John Stones. And you heard on Sky Sports, them just stop and you could hear us in the background belting out Sweet Caroline. So it is so surreal actually recalling that story to you now. But it was just a snippet of a summer where we had so much fun with those players because it was encouraged. Like that that was the culture. That's what Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland have brought to that job. They've allowed those boys to just express themselves. That's exactly what they did. And I think it's no coincidence they went so far in that tournament because they were such a good team and they were having such a good time. So, yeah, it was a very weird way to cap off an incredible five weeks having an interview with World Cup winner Sir Jeff Hurst, you, reuniting him with with another West Ham player in, in Declan Rice, a past and present, which was really special. And then at the end to, to join in with Declan Rice singing Sweet Caroline. It's up there with one of the more surreal interviews I've done, yeah. Brilliant fun, though. Fantastic radio. <laughs> what would you say, then, your, your favourite program on on five live was to to work on because there's plenty of different football yeah. programs or or the st- style of football coverage which which sort of thing was your favorite it, that's such a hard question to answer I'm going to give you a politician's answer here uh-huh. and kind of say I do like doing a bit of all of them the first time I covered Mark Chapman and sat in the hot seat on a Saturday because that that is the five live flagship program you know Saturday afternoon sport when you hear that theme tune come in yeah, that, that was pretty incredible. But Friday night's really good as well. Uh, Friday night club, when you're previewing the weekend's action, they always get some good guests on there. And it's just a bit of fun. I've done that a few times with Jermaine Genus. The Premier League Sunday is really, really great as well because you've always got some heavyweight clashes in that one. Again, the guests are really good. Plenty of live football to talk about. Mm. Um, and likewise, I've done a couple of crazy ones midweek when you're going around the grounds, which chaos, but... Really, really good fun. But yeah, that's when your football knowledge really, really comes in just for context. And actually, I did uh, one of the, was it Easter weekend or it was towards the end of last season when the table's really taking shape and you've got teams going in and out of the top six in the relegation zone. And as soon as a goal goes in, it can all change. And on my wall, I had printouts of like all the league tables, top scorers, facts. Like there was just so much to take in. It was chaos, but it was really, really good fun. So I think all the programmes offer different things. And it's just, honestly, it's just a privilege every time. So sorry, yeah. that's not really giving you a specific answer. <laughs> no, is it? no, it is no. True. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, it kind of paints the picture of, of, of the diversity of these programmes. Although you, you referred to where you're going around the grounds and that happens on, on the Saturday programmes and the midweek evening programmes when there's lots of games on. And it sounds like you, you've been on both sides. You've been in the studio taking in the voices but you've also been one of the voices at the stadium so so how how is the process for let's start with at the stadium how does it work do you 
do you have to press a button to say like come to me or do you type a message or is there someone in the production team how does it work so it varies i work for five life but also bbc final score they're both done using radio equipment and actually mainly using radio reporters because you're not in vision even on the tv on bbc one and final score but they have two different ways both of them though you're using what is called an isdn kit which i imagine your students might be familiar with if they're not it's a huge metal box which to me and i think a lot of other broadcasters it is crazy that are still being used in 2021 because i think well you'll know better than me how long have they been around for they've been yeah, around yeah. for years donkey years time. Time. but they're a solid piece of kit so it's this huge metal box that you just plug into an ISDN cable which is basically like a phone line cable or the equivalent of and that's what connects you on air and then you've got your headphones uh, that you stick in oh here's a lesson as well always bring batteries don't just oh sorry oh yeah you've got your power cable and batteries as well but if one fails then it's always good to have a backup of the other basically an extension lead as well I've been caught out there a few times but yeah you just plug a piece of kit in and dial it like a telephone and yep. um, connect and then you speak to someone down the line who's in Salford um, where the program comes from whether that be five live or BBC final score yeah they connect you and then hopefully you're good to go but I have nightmares now about when you plug in at football grounds and when these pieces of kit connect you get a red light and a green light if you don't if you get one or the other or neither you're in trouble so yeah, yeah. uh yeah icn kits but also comrex mm-hmm. um which i think your students might be familiar with yeah we've, we've definitely got a comrex unit in, in yes. the cupboard here yeah so they're a little bit easier to carry around well certainly the ones i've used they're almost handheld and it's the same kind of idea you're dialing in effectively but the ones I've used are pre-programmed so they're BBC ones where they're quite clever you just switch them on and it's got every single BBC station you can think of so when I was at the Euros it was amazing because you could dial into BBC London or Manchester or whichever region you needed to go to likewise it's got five live um, all the network stations on there as well you just press a button. It's all done through the internet, that one. So someone described it to me as it's the equivalent of having about 20 SIM, um, like SIM data cards in there in terms of the signal it has. So it's also effectively got its own Wi-Fi. I don't know if I'm explaining this very clearly. <laughs> sure. But instead of plugging it into an internet, like you do your ICM box, it can function anywhere. So I was using it in the middle of St. George's Park, where the England base is, which is hundreds of acres of fields not an internet pole in sight and it worked likewise then I would take it back to the hotel and you could plug in there the beauty of it is well I say the beauty of it is that you can use it anywhere at any time but that did mean during the euros I'd be on air sometimes at 7 a.m doing breakfast and then at nine or ten o'clock at night doing uh, the evening shows as well but they're clever pieces of kit and they never really let you down because like I said the internet power is amazing on them I used one out of Madrid actually for the Champions League final as well stood in the middle of a, a sort of square there where they had fans congregating, celebrating in the days leading up to it, getting on the beers and stuff. Um, so we were kind of in there picking up the atmosphere on a Comrex again, because you can just use it wherever. Uh, so they're quite interesting pieces of kit. Like I said, the ICN kit looks a bit dated, doesn't it? But it rarely lets you down and the Comrex is very much the same. Well, yes, there's there's reasons why why you professionals are still using some of these bits of kits because uh, nothing better has come along yet, I guess, uh, generally speaking. Amazing insight there. I, I guess in, in terms of when you're in the studio end then, um, mm. other, other than it being manic, I, presumably you've got a, a production team who are uh, trying to feed you the right people at the right times because what, what always gets me is how well with these programmes you get people just as goals go in or even yeah. like there's a oh, yeah, sorry that's that was your original question wasn't it so there's a couple of ways of doing it on I think on is it on final score we can effectively buzz them so there's on these ICN kits there's this weird setting where if you hold down the star button like you would on a phone yep. and number one I think it is it sends a buzz through to the studio so if I get a goal if it's not a Premier League game, because the Premier League games they have on screen, so they can see the action anyway happening. But if I'm at Millwall, for instance, I could hold down star and press one and it goes beep the other end. So they know to come to me and I can say, yeah, I've had a goal here. Jed Wallace 
has just scored. It also means they can get the graphic ready for when they come to me or they can feed information to the commentator. Whereas on final score, because they've got the screens in front of them, I was at West Ham doing a Premier League game on Saturday. So I would have no warning. Like Jason Mohammed, the presenter, would see on the screen, oh, there's been a chance at West Ham and the Saunders. And then I, I'm just ready. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and turn my mic on. So it's a bit different when you're at a Premier League game. But yeah, if you're at a championship game, often it's down to you to let the studio know because they've got so many games to keep across. So whilst they'll have probably Sky Sports News or something with a ticker tape. We've got a BBC programme as well that does it. There's a video print and online they give us a website that goes to and any goal that goes in flashes up as well. So that's pretty quick. But it's usually a mix of you buzzing the studio or them seeing on the video print something's come up and saying, OK, Emma, coming to you after this, we'll get a goal update. So, so it's all quite fast paced. Yeah. OK, but, but so so with some of these stages, if they can go straight to you, uh, Premier League game, for example, yeah. uh, presumably you have to watch the sorts of conversations you're saying because they might be, someone might be monitoring you <laughs> during the game. Have you been caught out? Yeah, no. I mean, the thing is as well, because of the person at the other end in Salford, they've got, say, 12 games they're keeping across, 10 games. Hmm. If all of us kept our mics up, it would be chaos. So we actually have to turn our mics off until it's ready for something for you to say something occasionally I've accidentally left it on and someone will say in my ear can you just turn your mic off so then it's up to you when they come to you to quickly remember to press the buttons turn your mic on but yeah no thankfully I've I've never said anything out of line or been caught up saying anything out of line but your mic your mics aren't on anyway um I can't say that though sometimes you have an Atmos mic so I'll have the mic I talk into but I'll also plug in another mic just to pick up on the crowd noise, which actually is obviously something I've not done for about a year because there's been no fans in there. But previously, and we'll start doing it again now. And in some grounds, that can pick up some language. Yeah, not my own, but um, I have yeah. used it in a few grounds. Where have I been? In Everton's grounds, you're very close to the fans. Like they're on the other side. There's a barrier between the two of you and that's it. So on a couple of times there, we've had to move the mic around a little bit because it was picking up some colourful language, but nothing nothing for me personally anyway, no. You've, you've talked about how you're, you're freelance and so you get different jobs, like especially focusing on the radio size of things. Uh, you, you'll be given different tasks depending on the programme you're working on. So this could be a difficult question to answer, but what would an average-ish day of radio-based work look like for you what sorts of tasks or skills do you have to perform on the day of a show or leading up to it I mean it totally varies if I'm if I'm football reporting so I'll take you through a Saturday briefly kickoffs at three o'clock normally you get in the ground at about one o'clock you want to plug in because that gives you two hours to sort it out if there is a problem with your ICN kit on Saturday I actually did have an issue as well so I was match one. So I was on at 2.31 when the programme started. Mm-hmm. And I think it got fixed at about 2.15. So that was a little <laughs> bit tight. So you want to give yourself plenty of opportunity just to get an engineer up if there's an issue with your kit or if there's anything happening or gone wrong. Uh, so you get to the ground for about one. And depending where you are, obviously, if I'm in London, I live in London. So I'm usually leaving my house anything between half 11, 12 o'clock. So and then you're done at five five ish in a post-covid world as well we used to um have to go down pitch side and interview the managers but obviously we can't really do that anymore so it's all done on zoom and even that i think they only allocate one radio reporter at the moment so for instance on saturday i think it was talk sport that did the conference and then the the audio is allocated out so all the rights holders can use it but a pre-covid world yeah you'd have to you'd finish at five o'clock you'd unplug and then scuttle downstairs and do an interview with the uh, but with both managers for Five Live. And then, yeah, you'd be done. I mean, it depends where you are, if they've won, if the manager's taking ages to come out. I remember going up to Wigan once when Millwall were playing there and Ian Holloway was in charge. And my goodness me, I think it was a good hour or so before he came out. They lost, by the way. I don't think they had a single shot on target. So that was a, a long wait for an interview which actually ultimately, yeah, it was only a couple of minutes, I think, because he was so fed up with what they'd yeah. done that evening. So, uh, oh yeah, on a Saturday, you're done at about half five, six o'clock. So it's not it's not a hugely long day. When I speak to my other friends that regularly do, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours that work in other industries, when you think really 12 till six on a Saturday afternoon and you're watching football, it's a dream. So yeah. 
that's your average Saturday afternoon reporting. But for instance, this week, I'm presenting five live on Saturday, seven hours. I'm on air 12 till seven. And let me read you out the sports which we are covering. Women's football, full commentary. There's a Grand Prix, so there'll be some F1 in there. The test match continues between England and India, so some cricket. We've got the US Open, uh, rugby league commentary, and the Josh Warrington fight. So my preparation for that is actually starting today, which is Tuesday, and that's on Saturday, because there's so much to get your head around. What does preparation look like then? Like, Is it a case of your doing some research to get yourself up to speed on on things like the sports mm. that you're less familiar with I don't know um, for example you might for example think that boxing wasn't your strong point so you feel like you need to read up on Josh Warrington that sort of thing. yeah yeah I just think you'd never want to go into anything blind not really sometimes it happens you're on air there's a breaking story and you don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge in that area there's not a lot you can do about that but that is where your production team can be incredible because they will have people behind the scenes that can quickly put together a couple of pointers for you for a two-way on air. Me personally, I like to prepare, prepare, prepare and be talking about a subject because I actually understand it, not because there's just questions written in front of me because that's when it becomes a conversation. That's where you're interviewing someone and you can listen to what they say and you understand it and then you can naturally bounce back and chat to them like you would normally rather than just having questions written out in front of you which might not necessarily mean very much I think you can always tell the difference between interviews when that happens so um, I will spend quite a bit of time just making sure I'm across all those different sports this week reading up on them what you know what the main headlines are at the US Open that day what the the names are that are going to be playing what their stories are so far and likewise, with the WSL kicking off this weekend, I'm also presenting a WSL preview show though on Friday night, which will feed nicely into Saturday's commentary as well. There's a huge misconception, the amount of people that talk to me about my job, and I think it's not necessarily their fault, but they just assume that I get given all these notes and, and told exactly what to say and when. And it's not true. We're journalists. We're trained journalists. You have to know about your topic, because I think if you don't, you can get quickly found out on air very, very quickly, especially on Radio 5 Live, because... It's not like sometimes with TV, because of the adverts and everything, you might get two, three minute blocks to talk about something, a specific topic. Whereas on Five Live, we can do 10, 15 minutes on it and you get into real detail then. So you need to know what you're talking about. But that's the other thing I should add to Saturdays, by the way, whilst you might be working effectively 12 till six, you do prep for that as well. So my average prep for a football match might take two or three hours. So I do that in the days leading up to it as well but yes preparation is key absolutely key you do find it rolls over as well though so I've done West Ham and Palace this Saturday it won't be long before I do them again and it'll already kind of be in my head then how their team looks this season and it does mean eventually you're great on quiz teams when there's a sports round so (laughs) (laughs) yeah the big the big plus point of all this that's great the tide is, you know, definitely changing slightly, but it's fair to say, I think, sports and football broadcasting is dominated by by men. Do you feel in, at all pedestaled as a, a woman making radio about football and sport? And, and is it difficult or, or pressurising being referenced as one of the female voices on Five Live Sport? Or, or, or is it, does everyone make you feel OK? I mean, how, how would you respond to that? I suppose it's what you mean by pedestaled, hmm. by who? Well, I guess like if, if people were to say there's no women on, on the radio talking about football, they go, oh, what about Emma Saunders? Uh, that, that's, that's how I'm referring to being pissed. Yeah. Uh, I think, first of all, it's, it's changed so much since I started, which was, like I said, sort of 2012, 2013. And I would go to press conferences or be at a football ground for a match and be the only girl, the only woman. Whereas nowadays, I've had the complete opposite. I've turned up to Premier League games recently and all the reporters there for the main broadcast as a female. In fact, this England camp I've just done this summer, the uh, the main broadcasters, so Five Live, Talk Sports, ITV, TV and BBC TV, three out of four of those people were female, which... They, they the FA commented it on themselves and said it was great. You know, all of us, they're on merit. We're trained journalists. We're not, we are, we were not there to tick a box. All of us, I think in our own right had earned the opportunity to have that role. And I think now there are far more women in these roles 
And for all the right reasons, like, there's nothing that drives me more nuts that when people say there's too many women covering it and we're there to tick boxes, all the women, when you look around, they're journalistically trained. They know their football inside out. I never feel as if I'm on air because I'm a woman. I think I'm on air because I'm a sports broadcaster. It wouldn't matter if I was male or female. Certainly, yeah, with with Five Live as well. So, yeah, do I feel on, on a pedestal? Um, I suppose in some ways I would like to think of it as a positive that now when I when I was growing up and I had a season ticket at Watford, you'd look around and there were just no there were hardly any women there, hardly any other girls. Whereas now I think as an experience going to a football match as a woman or a girl you'd look around and see so many opportunities, um, whether that be in the press box, on the on the tannoy, in the team itself, you know, the, the medical team that's surrounding a, a footballer. So I think it's all got a lot better. We're definitely much more represented as women and for all the right reasons, but it still does have a long way to go. But it's season on season. I just think it's getting better and better. You've seen that with the WSL deal that's just been done with the BBC and Sky. That's mega Mm. um and you know season tickets for Chelsea women this season I think have been sold out already and they were quite a while ago so there's such an appetite there for for women in football whether that be on the pitch and I think now there's some hugely well-respected female broadcasters as as well off the top of my head of course Alex Scott Karen Carney there's there's so many women out there that can really talk football and talk it well and they're all there on merit and I think people generally now see that whereas generally speaking that wasn't always the viewpoint no definitely. Um, but then I don't know maybe I'm looking at that through rose tinted glasses because I'm in the middle of it as well <laughs> no you're, yeah and you are and that's why it's your perspective so interesting and and you know as a football fan and and a listener of football coverage football programming is my favorite radio programming to to listen to and understandably it's my big passion and interest and I think just just last weekend or perhaps the weekend before I, I heard a on on Five Live a football commentary with a female commentator and a female co-commentator, and it's normal now that that happens. It yeah, I, it was only a few years ago where that would have been there would have been a big deal made out of that. You're are you referring to Robin Cowan and was she alongside Karen Carney? Yeah, quite quite. The two the two of they're unbelievable broadcasters. Like the fact they're female shouldn't even for me. It's it's got to where it should be when that's not even a conversation. I can see why you've pointed that out because it it is still unusual to have a combination of two women together. But for me, it should be that was a great commentary, mm. and it's just a coincidence that they were both female as well. You know, you talked about having a, a Watford season ticket from a young age, and presumably then sport has been a, a big part of your life for a while. Yes. Yeah. I was so sporty all through school. So that first work experience I mentioned there time and time again, and actually students should keep an eye out for it because I think it's still going. It's called BBC Kickoff, where they pick up people that are just sports mad that want the opportunity to become a broadcaster. And they offer you training through this work experience program every summer. So I applied for it because I'm exactly that sports mad. So I grew up playing tennis. I was on the circuit playing that pretty regularly um, at a fairly high level until I was sort of, um, 14, 15. And then I just got more into team sport. I was playing everything at school. So like hockey, netball, rounders. I was big into athletics, love running as well. All of it. And had a season ticket at Watford, yeah, for 10 years. So to be working for them now, yeah, it is an absolute dream, especially in this era. I've been so lucky to be involved with the club when they've been promoted and become an established Premier League side. So... Yeah, I was just absolutely sports crazy, but mainly football, which I think has probably paid dividends now as well, because there will be times I'm on air and I, you know, end up just at the back of my head thinking about something which I experienced as a fan years ago before I even became as a broadcaster. And I think it definitely adds to your to your, your knowledge um, and I suppose your weight then as, as a broadcaster because you have all these other experiences you can you can draw on and yeah I suppose if you're not going to make it as a professional sportsman the next best thing is to be in the arena talking about it and speaking to those people that have made it because they're they're so extraordinary and they have all these amazing incredible stories to tell so I think being such a sports fanatic to be doing this job now yeah it is it is a dream footballers generally I'm being I'm being stereotypical here have a reputation for but not always being the most interesting people to interview so there's a knack to getting some 
entertaining answers out of footballers. Saying that, we were talking earlier about all these great entertaining answers you were getting out of footballers, but is it a challenge to get conversations which you think are of interest? Or do you think because they are footballers or sports people, automatically those conversations will be interesting? I think all of them are individually interesting people. I think just over the years, it's twofold. If you get a player that's come through a big club, they are media trained, you know, Um, and they are used to regularly facing press who ask them awkward questions that they don't want to answer. And I think then naturally they go into every interview with the expectation there's going to be someone there that's going to ask a very difficult question which they don't want to answer. That's naturally going to happen to you or I or anyone that was in that situation. In my experience, and this is what I try to do in the England camp, I just think just speak to these people like human beings. That's what they are. Yes, they've achieved incredible, extraordinary things, but these people are just like you and I. They've got families, they've got interests that are outside of the sport that they do at an extraordinary level. So I suppose that's just what I always try to do. And in the England camp, yeah, whenever a player sat down, I would always just try and make them feel comfortable and make them know that, you know, we're not here to catch you out. Yes, there might be some questions we need to ask about why Harry Kane isn't scoring any goals yet or, you know, topics which aren't as fun as singing along to their favourite songs. (laughs) But there's ways to do that. And I think as a journalist, you can do both. You can get to the crux of a topic, even if it is slightly awkward or difficult for that person to talk about, just the way you go about it. And I think a lot of that, is just speaking to someone on a very human level. I mean, I have friends and family that listen to me do interviews and they say, it just sounds like you. It just sounds like you talk to us. And I just think, yeah, I think sometimes when you treat it like a performance, talking to a player, that's when they might freeze up a little bit as well. Whereas if you just speak to them relaxed, like I am you now, you tend to find they relax a little bit too. And that's when you can find out some really interesting stuff. So I think post-match sometimes, you're doing a flash interview and you've got two minutes to talk about the game. Yeah, you're not going to get that person's life story and they might not say anything that interesting. But yeah, I think there's definitely a time and a place. And just all around, if you speak to people like human beings, they'll generally give you quite a, a human answer. It tends to work for me anyway. Emma, I read somewhere that you, as a student, studied geography and then got into student radio at university like were you always looking to get into student radio at university and and, you know was the idea of being on radio and talking to lots of people was that always part of your plan no is the answer honestly I've got like you said I've got a degree in geography I had an interview at the Met Office um which is in Exeter which is obviously where all the weather forecast comes out of and where all that meteorology like study is done I was really into all that I'm also quite interested in climate change and like renewable energy. I was looking into working in that kind of sector. Uh, And then, like I said, I was in the library saying that I've always had an interest in media. And I think if you'd said to me when I was 16, this is what's ahead of you, I'd have gone, oh, my goodness me, that is my dream job. But it comes back to what I was saying to you a minute ago. Those jobs weren't as achievable when I was 16, 17. Whereas now I think a lot of girls there are so many more opportunities and there's so many more women out there. So I think they feel more represented and things look more possible. Mm. Um, Whereas for me, honestly, Jackie Oatley was the only female broadcaster really I can remember at the time. And uh, actually Ellie Oldroyd as well, but they were the only two. Whereas now I imagine any of your students, if you ask them to name female broadcasters, they can really name four, five, six, seven easily because there's so many more. Whereas for me, I just don't think it seemed that plausible. So I was keeping half an eye on opportunities with the BBC. I remember I went to university in Southampton and if anything, they were within meteorology as well and actually becoming like a weather lady or something like that. (laughs) So they kind of overlap there. And then this is where I stumbled across kickoff. And I remember ringing my mum and being like, this is an amazing opportunity. I'm such a huge sports fan. They're looking for people that can train up to be sports broadcasters. And then... My mum was like, oh, you just got to go for it. Why not? You've got to be in it to win it. Because, of course, with those things, you think it's never actually going to be me. But someone's got to get picked. So, yeah, I went for it and got this um, work experience. And it all went from there. But I dabbled a little bit in student radio, but it was with one of my best friends at Union. We did about three shows. And it was just for fun. It was just something to do on the side. 
Oh my god, this has completely escaped me. Yeah. Actually, there was another. I had another um, overlap with them as well. We were on campus one day, just walking to a lecture, and Serge were out there grabbing people, saying, "Are oh, we looking for the new voice of Serge Radio?" And he just had to quickly there and then do like ten seconds of saying something like, "You're listening to Serge Radio." And I did it with two other friends as like a throwaway thing and then ended up being picked for it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I, on, yeah, looking back on it, that had completely escaped me until now. But Surge Radio, I remember then thinking, oh, maybe I do have a voice then that would work on the radio. And I think that must have added to my application with kickoff. Yeah. Well, there you I go. I about that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and I wonder if they still use your voice, Emma. Imagine, yeah. Oh, I hate to listen to that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you host programs. You conduct interviews. You attend press conferences. You're comparing at football stadiums at your your favourite football team, Watford. Mm. And you've done all that. You know media law. You can you know edit audio. You have loads of production skills. So, how important for those who want to get into radio broadcasting would you say it is to develop? these range of skills and and what's the best way to develop skills like that yeah it really is the other thing I should add I yes I've got a degree in geography but then I went and did a postgraduate um in broadcast journalism which was invaluable um exactly for that reason because when you go on work experience um the London 2012 thing was a bit different I I was there essentially to observe and learn and help with teas and coffees but when you get proper industry work experience which I imagine a lot of your students will you need to be useful. So you need to know how to use the programs and wh- whether that be what they use at the BBC or on commercial radio. It's just handy to be able to walk in and be able to edit audio because also this industry now, you're not just a voice presenting radio. You need to learn how to drive desks. Like the more you can do, the better. I can edit audio. So when I'm reading news bulletins, which is something else I do um, on BBC London radio, mm-hmm. it's you're completely self-sufficient. You have to walk in work out what the stories are, look for the audio, edit the audio, put it into a program, put it into a running order. Like you have to be able to do all of it. So I can't stress enough. Even if you want to be on air, that's the eventual goal. You don't really have much interest in production. Learn the product, like all the production stuff as well, because you might have to use it as a presenter down the line. But also I think it just helps having that understanding. If there is an issue technically, for instance, at West Ham on Saturday, when I was having technical issues there, because I've done all the production stuff and I worked in production for two or three years before I even went on air, you can understand what they're going through their end as well. It just makes the whole process a lot easier. And I suppose, how do you get that production experience? Practice. So use the studios as much as you can at university, even if it's not um, within sort of teaching time, if you can get those studios and just get out there and try and get some work experience if you can. And don't be disappointed if it's not, what you want to do. I remember the first paid work I actually had at BBC Radio London was on early breakfast and breakfast answering the phones. Now, as a, as a, I'd had all this amazing experience as a sports trainee, sports reporter during the summer of 2012. And that's not what I envisioned, envisioned kind of getting up at 4am to get in for 5am and, and work through on a breakfast show, which didn't really cover sports. But, you know, you, let, you just learn so much. You're in the building. Um, you're getting familiar with all the technology in there. And once you're in the building, you can network and meet the right people, which when, then will lead to where you want to be. So I think that's another piece of advice, really, I would give people. Don't be too disheartened if you don't fall into the first dream job you immediately want. It does take time, and that time will be invaluable. You'll learn things. You'll make mistakes which you can, which you don't want to do down the line when you do have your dream job. You know, you want to leave all those mistakes in the past. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose just get out there and do as much as you can, really, as soon as you can. Uh, so, Emma, I really appreciate your time. Finally, what are you listening to at the moment? What, what presenter or station or podcast or program has got your ear that you might recommend to others to listen to? Oh, to recommend to others. See, that's a different <laughs> question. I don't know. My well, is so weird. Yeah. Well, maybe um, just what do you enjoy? Tell us that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't mention the Five Life Football Daily at this point. So for me, you know, it's it's the best football podcast out there. Um, yeah. and of course, yeah, it's got the five live presenters on it. And it's daily, so it's a daily dose of football. And um, I do still um have a presenting role with them on a Sunday evening so yeah the five life football daily what else do I enjoy I have to be honest when it comes to podcasts so away from radio I do other than listening to 
sort of the key ones, which a lot of people do. So totally football show. And I've been actually been fortunate enough to be part of their panel quite a few times as well and sat in the hot seat for um Jimbo as well James Richardson once so that's good fun really really good way to bring yourself up to speed with football whether it be domestically or European football chat on there's very good as well but likewise I do really like the Guardian Football Weekly which is a good laugh with Max Rushton Barry Glenn Denning again really good way to bring yourself up to speed and I love their sense of humor mm. uh, and actually i I listen to quite a bit of Max and Barry on Talk Sports as well because I just think they're hilarious. Their programs are great. It's a good mix of football and wit in there. But then away from football, uh, I listen to the QI podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, like religiously. Absolutely love it. For anyone that doesn't listen to it, it's just random facts explained. And yeah, it's just, it's very funny. They're very witty as a panel. And it's just, for me, that is my escape. That's what I listen to when I don't want to think about football, which isn't very often. But sometimes when you're trying to get to sleep and you've got the adrenaline still pumping, you've been on air that day. I'm quite, I do find switching off with that quite enjoyable. And uh, another one I like, Off Menu. That's mm. very entertaining. A lot of mine are kind of comedy based, I think. That's my way to relax and switch off. Uh, also, How to Fail, Elizabeth Day. I love that. And I think it's just such an important lesson. People should listen to that podcast just to remind yourselves that anyone who you think is successful, you might look and think, I want their job or where they've got to. There's a route that's got them there, which hasn't been conventional. And they've faced plenty of rejection and slipped up along the way and made mistakes. We're all human. And I think we live in an age now where because of social media and stuff, people forget that, that people aren't perfect so how to fail i think i'd recommend as well i think that's a a good podcast a bit of a mix there emma saunders there with loads of talking points i'll bring up a couple of things that jumped out to me firstly the importance of learning to use kit working in radio isn't the most complicated job in the world but you do need to have some technical competence and confidence I think it speaks volumes if you go out of your way to learn how to use things like Comrex kits, ISDN lines, software that helps with outside broadcasts, etc, etc. Add as many strings to your bow as possible. Emma told us about how, in the summer, the theme of England players singing songs came about organically, but quickly became a fixture in the coverage. That sort of stuff is radio gold. Sometimes the best content isn't planned, but that doesn't mean that you can't build on things that have worked before. Listeners generally enjoy the familiarity too. Emma spoke about the rise of women in sports broadcasting over the last few years. And it's true, TalkSport and BBC Radio 5 Live have been expanding their pool of talented female sports broadcasters for a number of years now, and it's becoming the norm. Sports programming is no longer just a boys' club, and that can only be good news for the radio industry. We also spoke about how Emma got into BBC Radio in the first place. The kick-off scheme worked for Emma, but she also warned people not to expect to fall into their dream job instantly. As she put it, doing other jobs first gives you the chance to find your feet and make your mistakes before you get that dream job. And this is excellent advice, because... There are plenty of mistakes to learn from. Finally, I loved hearing about how Five Live's coverage works, with some people pressing codes on equipment at stadiums to request the producer goes to their game, some people are on permanent standby covering Premier League matches. If you're that person, you must have to have something ready to say at all times, and that must be really exciting radio to be part of. You can hear Emma on a number of programmes and podcasts, from the BBC Radio 5 Live Sports team, and you can follow her on Twitter at Emma underscore Saund. That's S-A-U-N-D. I always make time to briefly talk about something that I've enjoyed listening to recently. The Skewer is an unusual production for BBC Radio 4 produced by John Holmes. It has won loads of awards, which is no surprise because it is superbly produced. But how to describe it? Satire? Yes. Cassette Boy inspired? Perhaps. Full of bad language? Definitely, definitely. But really, there's nothing like it. They describe themselves as a kind of concept album made of music and news. The Skewer is so unique and such an editing feat I recommend everyone subscribe to it on their podcast apps. Episodes are a breathless 15 minutes long each, 
but expect it to cross some of your lines privately set about taste and decency from time to time. Find The Skewer wherever you get your podcasts or on the BBC Sounds app. If you would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, be it with audio that you recommend, stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A Fantastic Noise. You can also email us on fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Before we go, it's time for the Radio Word of the Week. Today it is actually two words, bitrate. A bitrate is measured in kilobits per second, or kbps. This is describing how many bits of data are in a single second of audio. This only becomes relevant, however, when converting audio to MP3, as the higher the bitrate, the larger the file will be. Many talk-based podcasts are uploaded at 96 kbps, mono. Uh, Those using music, like music beds under voices and such, might opt for 128 kbps. I tend to use 192 kbps or higher when I can. Uh, The highest quality bitrate an MP3 can be is 320, which takes up about 144 megabytes of space for an hour-long file. Comparatively, a 96 kbps hour-long file takes about 43 megabytes of space, so you can quite see why it's a popular bitrate size. The difference in quality though is noticeable, especially when listening with headphones and the higher the bitrate the better quality of file, and the larger the file too. Bitrate is our radio word of the week. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. Do subscribe, give us a review and rating, and follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for future updates and previews. Thanks again to our guest today, Emma Saunders, who you can hear regularly on BBC Five Live Sport. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, that is Stu with a double O. Our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team, part of the School of Culture and Communications, and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. Fantastic noise.